0: Welcome to The Highway to Well with Derek Bell. Today we're talking with Derek Marie, the head men's soccer coach at Carroll University. Now, some of you might know that soccer is just part of my DNA, and coaching this beautiful game is a part of who I am. In this special episode of Highway to Well, while we're going to take a side road off into the soccer universe, we'll find ourselves still talking about the same issues we speak about in wellness, including coaching during COVID what a coaching position description would look like today and what our players need and how to build a successful culture. We'll also look at coaching as an impact business and how we raise young, good men. And finally, we'll talk a little bit about the High School Coach of Significance Award. Thank you again for listening. Let's get on the highway tomorrow. <laughs> Welcome back here to the Highway to Well. Today, we're talking with Derek Murray, head men's soccer coach at Carroll University and someone who I've known for quite a while, had the opportunity to coach Derek through his high school career and have watched him blossom into one of the finest coaches in college soccer today. And I brought him here because despite all of my work in wellness, I have been a soccer coach for a greater period of my life. And I often refer to that, you know, we all have our passions in life, but I feel like the best way to really describe soccer's place is it's so woven into my fabric that it feels like my spiritual home. And kind of like, and I know I, I've said this before probably to Derek when he was playing for me ages ago. I call it my church. And it's it's a very, it's a very proud place. It's a very a uh, place of reverence, a special place for myself, and, and I know obviously many others. But um, but that's that's something else that is that I've woven into this wellness fabric too in my life. And so I wanted to bring Derek on, have him talk to us about what it feels like to be co in a COVID environment, and how can we both work together, and what have we learned about raising good young men in the environments that we work in but derek first i have a couple questions for you ready how's your your head how's your heart Mm. and how's your health
1: three great questions that i think are uh weirdly they run they run next to each other they're parallel but at the same time they're, they're all woven together um my head is probably like a lot of people's Uh, the last six to eight months have given us a lot to think about a lot to chew on and a lot to uh, take away from what's what's going on in the world. Um, My head has been filled with trying to keep my 42 guys on my team um, happy while they're on campus in a COVID world where there's protocols and guidelines that have never existed before. And we're making stuff as up as we go and hoping that it works out. Um, My head is, it's good. I feel good about what I'm doing and where I'm at. Um, and the fact that we just got through our first two cohorts here at Carroll with uh, very few positive cases on campus while being in a metropolitan area. Um, when you ask about my heart, my heart as well. I mean, I have two great little boys. I have a four-year-old that just started pre-K. So that's been quite the journey because he's been at home with his, under his mom's wing for the last four years. So it's been good for him. And then I have a one and a half year old that is, uh, he's cool in his own right. He's more like his mother, but they're both my boys are getting to the place where they're, they realize they're bros now. So they're doing bro stuff and fighting every 10 seconds. Um, so that's great in terms of my, my health. Um, I've actually, once COVID hit, I was starting to feel really down and out. Like thoughts were starting to consume me. I was in a very negative place for being a very uh, eternal optimist. I like to think. So one day I got pissed off and I just, I started running and, uh, Bell knows me and he knows that he's been on me for years to do it um, to do something anything and I, one day I started running and I got pissed off and uh, that was like two hundred and forty miles ago uh, I lost 23 pounds in the last uh, in the last five months um, and now it's something that I somehow weirdly enjoy doing I, I don't know why but its it's been good so mentally physically and uh, everything I'm in a good spot
0: I appreciate you. Have finally taken up my advice and dug <laughs> deep into that running soul that I know is inside you. So
1: everything I'm I do is usually... It. Everything I do is usually delayed onset. It's like three years after someone tells me to do it, I do it. So here we are.
0: That's the stubbornness that you will find in your kids that will <laughs> keep you awake at night in fits of joy and frustration in equal parts. Yes.
1: yes, I feel that.
0: So you touched on this. I, I want to – first I want to talk about COVID and being a coach and how – so you're, you're at the collegiate level in Division three school. Your players arrived at campus in August with the anticipation that they were going to be entering some kind of new environment, but that they they all are part of this um, this group of players that have gone through a couple things so far that, that are – unique, um, unprecedented across the board. Although, I mean, obviously some schools of throughout history have probably had to modify programming and do some certain things, but by and large the conferences and the whole divisions putting off sports is something that we're all getting accustomed to at both your level and my level as a high school coach. So I want to, I want you to talk to me on what, how did you approach that when your players came in and What have you done or what have you been able to do to keep them motivated and engaged through this trying time? And and also, I I don't know how much time you spend or what the anticipation is for what you're going to be able to do in the spring as a sport and and have competitions and games. But I'm sure all of those issues are looming. But I want you to talk about what it's like to be in a coach in this kind of environment today.
1: I mean, man, it was it was tough. I mean, you recruit kids and you have kids on your team with intentions of um, competing and and winning. And um, you do it for the the 90 or 120 minutes you get to play twice a week. And when that stripped from you, it was very easy um, to go into a place where it was viewed as a negative thing. But I tried to spin it as an opportunity. I mean, our team has got 38 guys on it. 27 of them are freshmen or sophomores. So we used it as an opportunity. Um, We made it fun. And these kids gave me so much more than I could have ever given them. Um, We had to be in groups, um, no more than 15, and we had to train. So if somebody were to get COVID, the group were to get quarantined. um, And we treated each week, each practice, like it was the last one. So every day was 100 miles an hour, 100%. Um, but we found unique ways to do team building. Um, we found unique ways to incorporate stuff with, with the mask and just telling our kids, Hey man, this is what it is. Life isn't fair, but you can view every, everything as an opportunity. If you choose to, they could have very easily told us, yeah, no, we're pulling the plug, no practice, no games. Now they pulled the plug on our games, but we still got to practice for five weeks. And that's five more weeks we would have gotten if we didn't do anything. And it really helps shape what we're going to get to do in the spring. Um, Luckily with a young team, you can kind of create the culture and make it be what you want to be. And one of my big things is I, I don't like complainers. I, I, I don't like being around them. Um, and we took COVID out of it. Um, we said, we're here. We get to practice. Everyone's healthy. Um, and, and we made the most of it every single day. And our guys, you know, they, we had to wear the gaiters, which are the things you pull up around your neck. Um, half the time, guys modified it, them into like headbands. So my team looked like they were out of the, the 80s half the time. Um, so yeah, I mean, it definitely was hard because not only are these freshmen that we're getting from all over the country entering a unfamiliar space with, uh, trying to reestablish themselves and find themselves, they're being asked to do it when they can't do a whole lot. You know, uh, at Carroll, we can't have visitors in the dorms, all the freshmen, instead of having one or two roommates, um, were put in rooms by themselves. And while financially that the institution took a hit on that, it was to try to prevent more COVID cases from happening, which it did. So. Every day I come here being consciously aware of what my guys are feeling and thinking and doing and reaching out to them to make sure they're okay, because it's been very easy for them to get into um, weird mindsets. Um, we've, the school has done a great job athletics and bringing in motivational speakers of so talking about the growth mindset or managing stress. Um, we've kind of had a series of lectures that Carol has provided to our students that have, have been wonderful. So we've honestly, as a department, made the best out of a really sour situation. And it's been a great learning experience for me as well.
0: Yeah. So there are a couple of things that I think you were were touching on. And so we, and I've done as much work as I don't want to say as much as I I can, but every year we have been pushing along our movement on recognizing and, and being more aware of mental health as a, as a part of our lives, our community, and our athletes and their families. And we have built a program that builds awareness and ties us to our community. And, And that's been a really rewarding initiative. And then, so you were talking a little bit about some of the things that Carol's done. And so what I wonder is what's going to be the lasting, like, thumbprint of COVID that we keep? So Covid forced us into certain situations as a training group. As you know, the X's and O's of things had to change to be modified into cohorts and groups, and testing. And if and if you test, then this group has to quarantine. So we have all of these all these rules about our our social behavior in that way. But uh, what I feel like has been the most enlightening and probably rewarding part of all of this is. That it has allowed us to also take a step back and not just generally talk about mental health, but focus on mental health. And when I say focus on mental health, really focus on mental health away from performance. So what, what happens in our in our field, and in most sports fields, this is what happens: is you see mental health as it relates to performance on the field, mental health as Part of our um, strategy to be a better player. So it it's there and it's been there. We talk about it sometimes in terms of, of having a sports psychologist work with our players or work on performance based uh, avenues for success. Or if sometimes we start talking about mental health, we'll talk about or well being and start to go to that term too to add that to the mental health and well being. Then we talk about training modules, training. Uh, modalities for performance we talk about nutrition for performance we don't spend the time we need to on focusing on our players just getting by and getting to a a level-headedness where they're allowed to perform and compete and so what what I would love for you to talk about is what you've seen in terms of ideas or, or programs or initiatives that have been put in place to address mental health, isolation, social connectedness, and, and some of those issues that also involve self-esteem and awareness and, and really focusing on our, our mental well-being. And are those things that have changed your coaching or changed your program? And what are your thoughts about how are we are we going to keep this? Is this is this our fortunate opportunity to do the work we should have been doing for years? And it is our hope that we would continue to do that work because at the end of the day, we want our players to be healthy and happy. And that isn't always based on performance or scores of games, but it's on the experience of being part of, of your group, your emboldened collective that plays together and goes out and trains together and our in the case of, of where, where we are with young know, men is that feeling of brotherhood among their players. So that's what, that's what I, I keep wondering and asking and keep looking for it. I hope that it's shifting our focus away from performance and more on our survival skills, our ability to be resilient, our ability to work through the problems we have on a daily basis, because sports is such a great vehicle for us to learn those and apply those to our lives.
1: Yeah, no, I... I'm I'm with you on that. I think sports, you know, a lot of times you hear people say, "Play college sports; it's going to sharpen you." So when you get out into the real world, um, you're going to be able to be the best person yourself and have be uh, take advantage of your opportunities and work in a team environment with a a collective group that's different than you. But what people don't talk about is how college sports can do the opposite. They can break somebody. They can mess with their social their their self esteem. Um, a kid can come in. I've recruited kids that came in the most confident player that I've ever seen in my entire life. And 18 months later, they were a shell of themselves. And because of the sport took a toll on them mentally and it broke them in other, in other aspects. One thing that I've been very fortunate enough to do that has changed my psyche and my whole thing on mental health is last, last winter I was uh, fortunate enough to get asked to coach a arts, not coach to teach a class with a colleague called health, healthy masculinity. Um, it was aimed directly at male athletes, uh, members of fraternities. Each coach got to submit some nominations and I was lucky I had four or five of my my players in there and what that was meant to do was break down stigmas and um, stereotypes that athletes may um, present or that were' above talking about our feelings and really the underlying message was it's okay to not be okay and if you 're not, you need to talk to people about that so we took this complete group of strangers um, football players, basketball players fraternity members all the people that you would deem as air quotes, macho or whatever, you know, whatever it may be, and put them in one roof. And over the course of 12 weeks, we broke down a lot of stereotypes. Why don't we talk about our feelings? Why do we feel it's okay to talk about uh, women in a certain way? Um, Why do we feel it's okay to treat people a certain way or not treat people a certain way? When it was all said and done at the end of that 12 weeks, man, it was really rewarding for me because I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about some of the unhealthy, um, things that I may have done subconsciously that didn't even know I did. And then talking to that with um, students at Carroll. And now every time I see one of those 12 members of we, we kind of exchange a weird nod, like we had been through, you know, we did a tour in Iraq together or something because every week I was scared to go in there because I was somebody that was teaching it um, and being a mentor there. But really I had a lot of stuff that I needed to get out. Um, So I don't know if it was better for me or better for them, but since that class, Um, I'm consciously aware every single day of how my players feel. And if something doesn't look right or smells right, I I check into it. Um, That's a huge piece of this all, especially in 2020, where it seems like some days like the world is ending. Um, Social media has so many implications on our kids' minds and spirits that we really need to check in on them and um, really let them come in here. My door is open. People come in here, cry, laugh, joke, whatever it may be, but I'd rather have them do it in here, even if they're telling me, something that I don't want to hear or something that I might not want to feel, it's important that we as men and as people get that out. Um, so I, in in this year and the, the fall we just had, really trying to implicate that and trying to figure out my team, every single kid is different. They all react different. And it's up to me to figure out how to coach them and how to break down a wall to get through to them and trying to keep the message to my, my team as a whole the same.
0: That's, I really, and so happy to hear that you're involved in that project and I think I think like you um, when when I started embarking on some of the things that I have started doing with my team like I think of coaching there's kind of like these four stages to a coach's life is when you first become a coach it's like you're so focused on winning because you you think that that's your calling card you think a win and a loss is your calling card and if you don't win, you're a failed coach and inevitably, like you see that, especially young coaches, new coaches, you're focused on winning. So you're driven by that in such a way that it shapes your coaching to do that. And that we're sometimes failing in, in these ideas that you're talking about. So then as we go through that experience, we learn that, okay, winning is great, but we also need to develop players. You know, so you're still, I think we still go through those phases. Now we're now we're talking about player development, but we're still focused on soccer as a sport, tactical, technical, psychological, and you know, our, our fitness, our ability to play the sport is still our main focus. And then we get into our third kind of this third stage where winning is great and all, but then there's a thing called life that this is a part of. And now we're starting. I think that's kind of where a lot of us as coaches, we start to move. And like in your trans-theoretical model of behavior change, we go from pre-contemplation and contemplation action on what else could we be doing to make our environment more inclusive? What can we do to make our environment healthier and more fun? And you see that coaches that have developed that develop a way to have fun in a competitive environment that still is part of their pillars they're not silly fun they're fun for the sake of caring for their athletes fun and you do and you build in things throughout your training model or your group work where you're doing team building and and really developing them as young people to go out into the world and do all the many great things And then we get into now, after we start doing that, we feel really good about our experience as a coach. We start to develop more rewarding relationship with our players that you can see their development. We start to think, okay, now how can we, like in in my case, it's like, how can I really build young, good men? Like what are the key things that they have to learn to be young, good men? I'm a high school boys coach. I'm working with kids that are 14 to 18 in a, in the most developmental phase of their life and learning their attitudes, beliefs and behaviors that are going to last into then your environment where you have another chance to mold and shape before our relationship with them changes where they're now an alumnus, you know. And and so we, we have this brief period of about four years or so to work with players and I love that you're you've been asked to do a class like this, and and it's great to see that we're starting to get to that place because absent you know I think of it this way absent where else you know are these players getting this experience so coach if you if you wanted to look at a play at a position description for a coach today what is what's on that I want to ask you what would be in a position description for? It's not the one that you applied for and you got your job because it's just basically going to say direct soccer operations for Carroll University, schedule trainings, show up at games, hand out uniforms, make sure all your students are academically eligible. That's about it. You know, create, a, create an environment for success. There may be like a tagline that says, oh, by the way, we kind of want them to be thinking about this. But once we get in,
1: What does that position description look like? I mean, man, that's that uh, being on some hiring committees and doing some of the work that I've been lucky to do. What you said was very, very real to me. Um, What a lot of people don't realize is that they become the people that help shape them. I was lucky to have a very, very great mentor like you that helped shape me. And it's funny, as you get older, you find yourself you're like, holy crap, I didn't realize what that sentence meant back then. I didn't realize what that, what he was doing back then or what she was doing for me. And as, I, as you're talking about your pillars, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I'm in that space now where winning is a byproduct of relationships and impact. That's where I'm at right now. Do I want to win a national championship? Of course I do. But what matters the most is the texts I get when the season's over or getting invited to weddings or a kid coming in here when the worst thing in his life has ever happened to him. And he comes to me first that those win you games on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Um, but really I, I'm in the impact business. That's me. Um, that's what I like to do. And I, as for a new college coach, if I had to hire my replacement, I would want somebody that would want to be impactful. Um, you need somebody that focuses on the relationship first. There's a lot of great soccer coaches, but they're not great people. Um, I think that's in any organization, in any org chart. You want somebody that has the, the ability to empathize with the youth, the, the ability to teach and to want to make people better. Um, you got to work backwards. Like you're saying, you're, you're building these people up to give them to me, right? And then it's my job to take them. My mode of transportation is Carroll University van from you to the real world. Well, if I get kids from good coaches and good people, they're usually good coaches and good people. It's when I have to work backwards to break down stereotypes and stigmas and rules and things they thought were real when they're not. Um, but you want, I, I would want, I like to coach kids that I, the way I'd want somebody to coach me like you did, or the way that I would want somebody to coach my kids, be empathetic, um, be hardworking, teach them. Don't don't yell, but teach them. If they're wrong, give them the right information. If they take that information and do good things with it, even if it's not as good as you want, they're going to be great people and hard workers. If you're giving people information and they're taking that information and it's in one ear and out the other, I can't help you. I, I can't help you do that. And every second that... I'm stopping to yell at you for not following directions or stopping to scold you for not wearing your mask is time. We're taking away from me coaching and teaching the people that want that information um, to circle back. I'm going to say the, the ability to empathize um, the ability to put the relationship first, the, and the ability to put winning second, second to impact second to uh, classroom success, second to what kind of men or husbands they'll become second to what kind of son or brother they are. Um, It's a hard thing to do sometimes is knowing that you might lose a game in the short term, but in the long term, you're making a great kid because the lesson you make if you bench a kid for doing the wrong things, in that moment, it's a loss. Five years from now, it's a win when he's got to teach somebody that same lesson or he sees the value of it. Yeah, I, I I keep
0: hoping that that's the direction that we're all headed, and you know when when you compete in our environment and you show up the games you you can see the differences in culture in a program based on that coach player relationship in games and and I struggle more today than I ever have when when I see an unhealthy environment on another sideline. I mean, we make mistakes, you know I wish I could say. I can implement a program and all my players are going to follow suit. You know, we, we've been working for years on a, on a program called Coaching Boys Into Men. Um, and it's a, it is an absolutely outstanding program. Um, it, is a, um, it is a peer-reviewed best practices program for building young men and teaching them things like personal responsibility, disrespectful behavior towards women and girls, Digital disrespect, consent, taking a stand against bullying, and issues regarding and bragging about sexual reputation, aggression, relationship abuse, creating boundaries and communicating those boundaries, and modeling respect. So those are things that are known to all of my players. We still will find issues that are no different than any other program out there. The difference is within our family, within our, within our program, the difference between right and wrong is evident. And that is something that is really significant in our, in our world as coaches is to make sure that, that when players make a mistake, they're aware that that's a mistake that they're aware of that they have crossed some line. They've made a choice. They made a conscious choice. And, we want to work with them on that. I had, I had after doing this program and for a few years, and and having one of my one of my leaders go out and be involved in an incident at the school that involved some other male players from other programs. It took me a while to get over that because I felt personally I felt like that it went it it went against everything that we'd been teaching. I had to step back and remind myself that players are still going to be humans in an environment that has other mechanisms at play. The good thing about having gone through our program is that we were able to work with this situation differently. We were able to, instead of just throwing out punishment, we started talking about root causes and how, how this had happened and how, how male players objectified women and what they were doing and, that is such a critical concept at the high school level. So it created an environment for ha- us having intelligent conversations, which I do think help not only the environment and healing on both sides and the recognize the wrongness of the behavior on the guy's part and really recognize the behavior, not just punish it and then dismiss it, but recognize the root of it and that's when you can start changing behavior. But that's that's a significant place to try to get to. So like your involvement in this masculinity class is a step in the right direction. It starts to change the attitudes. It won't change all the behaviors. And as the coaches, we have to recognize that that's the case too, that as much as we want, all of the players are not going to make all of the right decisions all of the time. But have we created an environment where we're having the right discussion when they don't? And that's something that I still think we're, we're, year, we're, we're years away, I don't want to say light years, but we're, we're not quite there yet about that. We're still sometimes focusing on, a, focusing on punitive methods when we know the wrongness of the action without getting to the root cause of the action. So like in your masculinity class, I think that's a step. And in like you and I, if we, we walk into those environments and say, I don't know what I can bring here. But then we find that we're, but we, we're men and we've been in these environments. We played on teams. We recognize those behaviors, and when we start talking about them, it is both healing for us too. It gives us an enlightenment beyond because we start to hear the experiences of what others have gone through, and that is something that we lack in the coaching field across the board. And that's something that I think is is coming up, and and that involves us us being stewards and leaders of that movement too. So I I, I appreciate you for taking that step and doing that in that environment and being being a leader in that case. And, and I wonder what degree then has it helped you as a coach address those issues with your team?
1: I mean, tr- tremendously. It's made the conversations easier because there were conversations I wasn't having before because I didn't feel comfortable. Um, it, it's really changed how I view things and people. And what I tell kids all the time is you and I are having this conversation as two men that are speaking based off life experience, this is why you should, this is why you shouldn't, this is the impact of your decisions. Well, these kids are living those moments now, right? Some of the stuff they do now, they're not realizing, Hey, last Thursday was the best. They might not realize till 20 years down the road. That was one of the best days of their life. They may not realize the comment that they said to a female in passing had tremendous impact on how she feels about herself or how she feels about her body image. We know what we know because we know it. Um, 18-year-old Derek is, you, quote, you know 18-year-old Derek. Um, he's a different person, but a lot of things that I am now and the place I am now is significantly different because of life experience. What works, what doesn't, why I should do this, why, why I shouldn't. Um, but really making sure that my group, m- my team is a team. And we talk about it all the time. The mistakes of the, the a few are the mistakes of many. Okay, when when somebody says something or does something outside the realm of our rules or our structure, our silo that is men's soccer, we as a group pay for that. Not because I want to take everyone down with me, but we try to look at ourselves as a unit, um, as opposed to singular people. It'd be easy for me to bench, you know, Billy Smith because he did something stupid in class. Well. We're a group, right? We're a team. We're only as strong as our weakest link. Sometimes it's about punishing the group because we that's how we move on. That's how we get better. And my guys have really brought bought into that um, and really shown promise in that. They hold each other accountable because they know one mistake we all pay for. Um, and it's something that I've, I've really taken pride in since that group last, um, ended last spring. And I, I'm going to teach it again by choice. I mean, it was, it was so fun. I had to bring an extra shirt each week, man, when I got to my car because the one I had was it was soaked through because of how uncomfortable I was. Um, but now I look, I look, I look forward to those uncomfortable sweats because I think as males um, we need that. Uh, we, we need that. It's very, man, I did not start talking about my feelings till I was 32 years old. Didn't didn't even think about it. Didn't want to. Now I'm okay. Not being okay. And I'm okay. Calling a buddy and say, Hey man, this is what I went through today, it was kind of crappy. He doesn't need to, he or she doesn't need to say anything. It's about me just offloading that information and just saying it to somebody else and vice versa. I feel like I'm a person. I've become a person now based on the healthy and masculinity. people know they can tell me things. They can cry in here. They can call me and whatever it may be, I'm willing to listen, give advice if they need it, if not just be a person that they can offload it onto so they can feel a little bit better about themselves in their day. And that's, that's important too. We all need those people and i'm not convinced that enough people have them
0: yeah well i think i think we we often are in circles and environments where male vulnerability is challenging it is a hard it is a hard avenue for someone to see that it's an open path for them to get to a better place because it's oftentimes the stigma about vulnerability is that you're weak or you're you're That's the theory, you can go down the list of names, that the person, someone, you know, that usually ends up becoming part of the narrative why we have issues with vulnerability is because of that. But the more advocates that we can have in place, and then the more mentoring that we can do, then it it starts to create better environments where we allow people to express their feelings. and i think as a, as a as a coach of high school players over the past couple of years i've had a couple instances with my own players where vulnerability was the key to unlocking them to greatness and and it took it was a hard road to get them to be vulnerable in discussions about how they were feeling because when they first came with their feelings that that was just that was just what they were using to try to express their feeling. It really wasn't what the root of everything was. And when we started to get to the roots, we opened up that vulnerability and we find out that, that we have players that have these deep embedded feelings of insecurity or there's something going on there that they don't feel as confident as they should or want to be. And Or as when I say should, I mean as we look at them as brilliant players. And sometimes, even as much as we say you're brilliant to someone, it's hard, it's hard for them to sometimes see that if, if they have low self-esteem. And, and teenagers and young men, you know, young athletes today, self-esteem is, is at the top of the issues that they face and what their peers think about them. And how does their image fit into the what they're doing? And we have all these competing notions of what it means to be them. That's hard to get them to be vulnerable. So when we open that gate to it, it's a beautiful experience because we get somewhere. And we may not resolve all of it immediately, but we start to get them to a better place. And I think that's something in the coaching field. I mean, I, I, I think the next steps for us, I think, I think there are two critical things that we have to look at is how can we continue to open that gate to expressing our vulnerability and our feelings because that will lead to us being a better teammate, a better friend, a better uh, player, it'll be a a better student in the classroom and then a better professional, but also to really address bystander intervention and continue to work on, on that concept because we can't just put on one bystander intervention training and think that everyone's going to follow suit at the next party they go to. It takes years and years of reinforcement and. Sadly, sometimes it takes the experience of not doing something in order for people to understand the value behind it. And, and that's something that I think is critical. And, but I also, what, what sometimes I get troubled by is that we, in this kind of we were talking about earlier, and when we start talking about mental health, is that I, I really, so by, by and large, I think there are pieces of the stigma wall that are being broken down like a player like Kevin Love a couple of years ago, putting out his article regarding his own mental health. And then that kind of allowed some other players to start talking about it more. And we've seen it more lately than ever. And Dak Prescott just recently this summer talking about it. Um, and then, and to see the backlash to the ridicule he got by one of the um, sports announcer was really great to see that we're getting past that being a negative issue or a, a question of his manhood in any way, shape, or form. So we're getting to the point where we're, we want players to understand. It. At the same time, we, we're talking about players who have access to a wealth of resources. And so if they if, if they get to the point that they want to have a conversation, they're surrounded by people who they have access to. And even in your larger professional team environment, larger college environments, and even in your division three level environments, there are resources that are available to you when you have players who need support. What well, what I worry about is the kid playing in a rural club in central Wisconsin, the 12 year old who has self-esteem issues and his parent, his home situation is not healthy. His school situation is being bullied and the resources at the pool are limited or they're just And now he's playing club soccer and we see a kid that, that needs help. And where are the resources in our club environment? I think if we really want soccer as a movement across our country to grow, is to make sure that those mental health resources are are being built at the base level. And so I hope that the recognition from the top level and professionals talking about it will lead to that. But I think that's our that's the quantum leap right now for all of us in this in coaching is to help build the community capacity within our soccer programs to help those kids at that level because they're moving on to my level and then your level and then beyond and sometimes if they get to your level and they and they haven't had access to resources that have been helped, there's not as much that you can do as you wish you could have done if there's something that we could have taken care of years ago. I think those are the bridges. We need to have a moonshot on mental health and youth sports to help us get there. And so I think that's, that's like our next
1: quantum leap in coaching. I, 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 com- I completely agree. I, I, I was listening to a speaker at the, the soccer coaches convention last year. Um, and he talks about, you know, in his metaphorical backpack, he's got the, the microscope and the telescope. The microscope is those, those, those daily transactions you have with your your, your players, the small conversations—how you doing? How's your girlfriend? How's your mom? How's your dad? So that the telescope five years from now, you're looking at a finished. You know, you're looking at somebody that's made a lot of pro- progress based on those small conversations every single day. I had a player here, um, international player, that I was essentially his. I would say his American pseudo father, right? Um, and. Every single day he'd come in here and we'd talk and it would be all nothing, video games, sports, his girlfriend at the time, whatever it may be. And then it went from those things to his friendships. And then it went from those things to missing home and then how he's got some anxiety issues. And it went deeper and deeper and deeper. And every day we had these conversations and he told me, you're the first person that's ever asked. You're the first person I ever felt comfortable saying these things to. That was his junior year, his senior year. He was, he led the season or he led the country in goals scored. And people are like, well, what did Shabe do between now and then? I'm like, he's the same player. He's just a di- mentally, he's a different person. Um, and that that stuff. And there's so much focus on that now. Um, at every single level, like now, people are finally buying into. Like you said, the idea of how important the psychology piece of it is, the mental aspect of it, um, having a growth mindset, doing all those kinds of exercising your brain is just as important as these guys. Is, is their body. I mean, you think if you think LeBron James doesn't have a psychologist, um, somebody that he does brain training with all that, you're, you're a fool because he does. And if people are doing that stuff at the elite level, it's telling you at some point that will hopefully trickle downhill and we'll get it down where it belongs. But man, we got to help break the cycle because just because of that troubled 12 year old you were speaking about in rural Wisconsin at the club level doesn't get the help, doesn't get the resources. Now all of a sudden he becomes a dad with a troubled son because he's doing all he knows, the best he can do with what he's got. It takes people like you and I to step in and break the stigma and break the cycle so that they can go off on a different path. We can help cut down some trees for them so they can make a different path in the forest and go their own way.
0: That is, that's so we need to put cycle breaker on our coaching position description here. There we go, cycle break. That's really what, what it has become. That's, and that's where I think we, we need to make sure that we're recognizing the value. And like you said, like we know someone like in Le, LeBron James position is apparently working. You know, We know he works out and trains because that's what we talk about. And, and we know that he's working with performance people. We know he's working with psychologists. We know he probably has life coaching as part of his regimen too. You know, and so if we can value those in how successful someone can be, then it helps build a model to continue to work it downward. Like you said, there's there are these bit parts of this kind of like this constellation coming together of people are recognizing that everything that we do isn't about cleats, you know, boots and a ball and a goal and cones and lines. It's what's happening before and after that allows that person to show up and feel safe, allows them to express themselves, to pursue enjoyment. And we we want everyone to love the sport, but they love the sport because they love the environment. And that is something that we need to make sure we, you know, I hear it oftentimes, like, you got to love the sport. Yeah, you you do, but you do because you love the environment. You love the way it feels when you get there. And that could be so many different things for so many people. There are people who are specifically tied to that performance goal, and they're reaching to get as many goals as they can or stop as many balls from going in the or win as many tackles and connect as many passes. There are also kids that just want to show up and be safe, and they—they're hoping that you're there, and that you talk to them. And we got to recognize that that is as valuable as all the other stuff. And and those are those are those critical conversations that we got to keep encouraging this coaches and be leaders and mentors for. Um,
1: yeah, I actually had my we we were in a place at one point where we had an interim athletic director here. And she, you know, she was a hall of fame basketball player, hall of fame basketball coach. Um, she was actually married to a Super Bowl, um, a Super Bowl MVP. So she had a lot of like inside knowledge of what it looks like, what it is to be great. And she told me, she's like, you know, Derek, one thing that I used to do is I used to track how often I had conversations with people on my team. I had my assistant follow me around. And every time I talked to Billy, every time I talked to John, she would t- she would just make a note. And she's like, Somebody told me to do this as an exercise and I did it. And then all of a sudden I figured out, well, I talked to my star player 29 times at practice, but I talked to my role players once and the people that don't play, I didn't talk to them at all. Well, how is that equitable? How do I build those people up? If I'm only talking to the people that I should be talking to, I mean, it was really, really interesting. And I do that actually with my text to my team every now and then I'll do check-ins. It's easy to check in on the people we think we want to check in. It's easy to do, do that. It's, Player number 38, does he feel does he feel valued in your in your culture? Are you committed to culture? Are you committed to him? Because if you're committed to him, at some point he's going to do something. It may not be a game. It could be something that he does in training that raises the bar that helps you win the game on Saturday. But just being committed and consciously aware of everybody you have in your bubble and that they feel valued. And that's something that I did. not sure enough, the first time somebody did, I told my coach, hey, Monday through Friday, pick a random day, see who I talk to, just make a note of it. We got 38 guys talked to like 19 19 didn't get talked to of the 19 i talked to five of them a lot well they are five of my 11 starters it's easy to talk to them i need to be coaching player number 27 right now because at some point we're going to need him to
0: yeah well and you bring up there's a there's another point there is is optics and focus too of what you want out of your program so modeling behavior is the most is assuredly the number one point of success. So if you model a certain behavior, your players are going to follow that. So if you're communicating across the board, I mean, by all means, you're unintentionally in contact with some players that have a bigger role on the field sometimes. But if you are absolutely working hard to give equitable opportunity and you're communicating across the board with every player, your players are going to pick up on that and then they create that and then they recreate that environment and then they recreate that in their social relationships too. And they, and then you build a a team, a real, a team culture. And, and that's, and and those are where your lasting relationships and your friendships also come from is that what have you built that doesn't need a soccer ball to still be there? You know, and I, I had a recently, I had a, a dear friend college soccer teammate pass away. And at 48, that was a absolute shock to all of us that were, were teammates of his and were in our circles in college. And we got together and had a zoom memorial and we went through and, and went through the process of healing together. And it was amazing to, to talk about what we remember most about our college life. None of us talked about a single game. None, none of us talked about a single score. But we all talked about the way that Brian made us feel because he was the, he was the number one, he was the person that was around that would tell you how good you were. He was always trying to make you better. And that is something that was. Part of just who we were and what our team was. And I carry that as a coach now. That's something that, that, that I carry around. And, and I think I needed to be reminded of that too. And remember that that's a cornerstone of, of what the program ought to be, is that you have connections that last a lifetime that don't involve, ever involve the score of one game. You may have Man. some. You may have one of those games that you feel like you over as you a know, group. You overcame something. That's that's beautiful. But really, what you remember most about people are the way they made you feel. And when you think about them, you know, you think about them smiling and laughing and having fun. And so that's something that is part of that culture that we're all trying to create. But I think you're you're spot on talking about that that. How do we do it as coaches? We're the models for that. So how can we do a better job? And being that model in that way is so important to us to move our move all of our programs
1: forward. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's that's so true. Like lessons, life lessons are eternal. Like they they stay with us forever. And I think the coolest part is like I just started a, a men's majors team here in Milwaukee and I, I called it legacy because that's what's the most important thing to me is legacy. I want I want to be not be remembered for being, obviously I'm not the best looking guy. Not, 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 not that. But I want, I want to be remembered for just being a guy that was always there would give you the shirt off his back. And, you know, none of us make it out of here alive, man. But the lessons that we can provide people will keep getting passed down and passed down. And you hope like you did for me. And like you modeled for me, I'm doing it for, you know, other kids. You hope that 30 years from now, somebody can remind you of something you said or did that you forgot about that's going to be the funny it's either going to be the funniest thing you've ever heard, or it's going to be something you're like, I didn't realize that moment that Tuesday at uh, what is that place called? Madison fields was so impactful. You don't even, you know, you don't know sometimes what you're saying or doing or what that particular line or moment means to somebody or somebody's girlfriend might've just dumped them and they came to practice and just a simple, Hey man, how you doing? And the uh, arm around their shoulder, it could totally turn their week around. We don't know that um, in those moments and just being constantly aware of the platform we stand on and how impactful it can be if we use it in the right, right lights.
0: Speaking the truth, speaking the truth. So as we, as we start to wrap this up here, I want to, I want to ask you what, how are, how are you feeling about your spring? So talk a little bit about get back to your coaching role there. What are you guys looking forward to and what, what are your hopes for,
1: for our near future here? Uh, in terms of my program or just are you near future oh. in terms of the world? Oh, man. Oh. Oh, how much time how much time you got? Uh, hopes in terms of uh, the, my coaching career, I mean, I'm excited. I mean, this is now my third year already um, as the head coach and a lot of stuff has changed. And it's kind of been cool to hear the guys that just went out this, this fall that this was their senior year um, kind of come in and digress and tell me the things that, their exit interview. You know, I told them, I said, tear me apart, give me what I need to be better. And they're like, just thanks for everything you did. This, that one time something happened, you were, you were there for me. And that was, those are the things that I that meant a lot. You, you were there for me. Um, but really, man, I'm that, I'm, the, the soccer part, taking everything else away. Like I'm excited because for the first time we'll be headed into a spring season. And I think we're going to be pretty good. Uh, like very good. Um, three years into a recruiting cycle by the time we play a real season again next fall, it'll be my fourth year. So the freshmen I recruited will be um, juniors and seniors. And it's fun because you get to see an entire team turnover 99%. Um, and the kids you first got there as babies they are there now passing down the lessons that you passed to them. So it's completely yours. Um, I'm really excited about it. I don't know what the spring is going to look like, but I think based on some of the stuff the NCAA is doing, um, it's going to be hard for us to play games. So we'll see what happens, but I'm looking forward to getting back out there and practicing in whatever that may be. Um, In terms of the world, man, I'm excited for the election to be over soon. Um, I don't know what's going to follow that, but you start thinking about stuff differently as you get older and especially as you have kids. Um, And you just hope that in November and December and maybe a year from now, the world's uh, back in a, a spot where it once was and things are looking a little more optimistic. I can't wait to get through COVID. I don't know when this is going to be. I hope it's not the Spanish flu. And this is around for like eight years. Who knows? I got masked tan lines that I'm not proud of. Um, but yeah, man, I think COVID has taught a lot of people why it's not been great for some people's mental psyches and we're seeing levels of, you know, in general substance abuse that are higher than they've ever been before. It's allowed me really as a person to slow down and just realize, like, man, life is pretty simple if you just don't don't take it too hard on yourself. And it's allowed me to spend more time with our, my family um, and really allowed me to just step back and just say, hey, dude, take it easy. That thing you're, that you say you have to be done by tonight, it can be done next week. It's going to be okay. Um, there's the stuff, the pile never gets any smaller. So just taking more time to focus on myself and my family, and my wife, and just taking care of myself, really. Well,
0: I strongly encourage you to keep a lot of that mindset even when the world gets back to its normal hectic insane pace especially for us as coaches I I've been rewarded this fall when I'm normally coaching with the opportunity to watch my son play and help coach and be a part of his experience as a young player When I'm also getting to watch my daughter play more games which I had to miss previously because we were usually playing on her game days during her club season so I've been able to watch her play some more too so it's been, that's been really wonderful and um, I'm not sure what the spring will bring as well we're, we're expected to play and we have a season laid out so that'll be exciting for my players I'm looking forward to it the, this year I have a group of guys that are, have been experienced and are capable of doing great things so it's exciting in that way
1: but so speaking, call. speaking of exciting, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but it's my turn now to ask you a question.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, for the people out there, um, he Derek made uh, play like soccer is a recreational thing he does a couple days a week, you know, because he loves it. But he was actually just awarded one of the highest honors you can be as a coach, and that's a high school um, coach of significance award by the biggest uh, soccer organization in the world Um, as somebody that is as somebody that's fallen under your tree and somebody that knows how valuable what you bring to the table is like how much can you talk about that how much does that mean to you like how does that make you feel to know that like you are honored among a very small group of people as one of the most significant coaches in in the country It um
0: i've been trying to figure out really like the right words to really explain it the simplest way is i honestly feel like it's the most special honor that i've ever gotten as a coach above anything i've ever won during the during a game or a tournament or a series of season um and you know i've won a couple i've really been fortunate i've won a couple other awards and this one is special to me because it's it's indicative of what a lot of other people feel about playing for me or being a part of a soccer environment that I have a significant role in building. And it is also an award I, you know, and I've said I've said this all all along, high school, the high school soccer experience, I feel that's my lane. I've told you college i've coached through all youth programs at all different levels and been involved in the olympic development program and have been really fortunate in my coaching experiences and playing experiences to have done a lot i love coaching high school soccer and after coaching college i was excited to come back to be a high school coach because of this experience, because of, of what it means to these players' lives and, and what it means to the community and the school districts and, and the people around and the families. That, to me, is, it ties everything for me together. So I feel like this is really where I, where I want to be and where I should be as a coach. So to be honored for this was, it was incredible for me. And I think it was four years ago when this award was launched, I remember reading it and being so excited that our, so our soccer coaches association was building an award like this. I, I was so happy. I never thought I would ever win it. But I said, I remember thinking, this is brilliant. Like, this is what it's all about. We are here to coach the experience. We are here to build the experience. We are here to be, to create seasons of significance is really where it comes to. And that is not just about the game about the experience and of playing and being in a group of people for this short period of time and what you've learned about each other and how you can build these new cultures every year like that, that's one of the beauty that's one of the great things about high school soccer is it turns over you're not recruiting your players so you have these turnovers and you have to constantly be rebuilding your culture and yet you have these cornerstones that are a part of it that, that you want to outlive you too that you want those to be a part of that school's legacy and tradition forever and young athletes coming up are, are going through that so I honestly was floored I didn't know I was nominated for it either so when I saw that they had announced the winners I was like oh this will be great I can't can't wait to see who won I started scrolling down the page and I saw Wisconsin Derek Bell Stevens Point High School I was I, I stepped up I like walked away from my computer and then I came back and I read I read booted this hype because I was honestly like shocked. And I sat there in shock for a while and then I was in tears for a while because it was just this this moment of like, you know, that's why I coach. So when you're awarded in something is the reason why you're coaching, I, I can't explain just how much that means to me. You know, and so I, I'm grateful for all the players that had a role in helping me get there and to recognize some of the things about what it means to play in, in, in the environment that I create. And, um, and to the coaches who put in my nomination, I, I can't, I can't say thank you enough, but I, I, I look at it as the beautiful part of it is it's really is not my award. It's an award for what we've all been doing together. Cause it takes, it takes a two way street of communication and it takes buy-in from players to understand what you're trying to teach them is important. It will make them at some point in their life, they will have a decision point and they're going to remember what we did and what we talked about and they'll understand the route they should go. And then if they don't, then they still understand the consequences of not going that way. And that's all all we can do. We can equip our players. They still have to use the tools, but if we equip them with the best tools we can, then chances are they're usually going to make the right decision. So, thank you. Um, yeah, I don't. You know me; I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs>
1: but, no. Yeah, I just when I when you when I saw it, like it brought um, me to tears. And because I, I'm not a, an emotional person, but I think to this day, where you know, obviously, I had wonderful parents and a wonderful upbringing in a great community, and what high school sports, especially, mean to um, communities such as ours that are kind of, uh, small communities and it's 15 miles in another community. It's not like down where I live, where there's high schools every 10 blocks. Um, but really like, I think it to myself all the time, like if I didn't meet Derek, would I have gone to college? The, the answer legitimately might've been no, not because I didn't have great parenting. It's just, I always listen to you, uh, maybe more than my parents. And I don't, I'm not sure why. Um, but here I am now with a college degree and a master's degree in coaching at a private liberal arts school in Waukesha, things that I never would have thought I'd do or imagine, but I do know at the end of the day why I do, and deep down in my subconscious, I'm doing this because I love it, but also because I want it to always be like you. And I just wanted to tell you that in this um, platform, how uh, impactful you are. Just for every person, there's this is my story, and there's probably hundreds out there. And hopefully when you have your retirement in 70 years because you're not going to stop to your 110 Uh, we can prop you up in a chair somewhere and tell you how grateful we are for you.
0: Thank you for that. That, that means a lot to me. And it means a lot to me that you're teaching a healthy masculinity class too. So doing my best. You are. And I'm very proud of of the path that you're laying out. And like, I I just think that I hope that I, I guess my hope is that, that, We build a culture, like I said, and I think of it as a village, like we have to do it together. But the export of that is that every one of us are going to go on into a different arena, but we're going to bring that to that arena and make it better. And then after we have generations of that, we would have definitely had a significant impact in the way that people, their attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors on a lot of things outside of
1: soccer so man I, I based on what you said and talking about a community for anybody out there like there's just I don't know if you've seen it on Netflix there's a series called the Coach's playbook have you watched any of those I, I haven't yet but I know yeah it's it's awesome. Um, I challenge you to watch the Doc Rivers one. I think it's the first episode. He talks about when he got Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, and Kevin Garnett, and there was a w- a word someone um, when he's at a Marquette board meeting told him to look him up. Look up, and it's like Ubuntu. It's an African word, but it's not just a word; it's a way of life. And that Celtics championship team really embodied that word, and it took them all the way. It's about this is greater than you, but we all are part of this. So look at watch that one. It's it's awesome.
0: I will. I will. Thank you, Derek, for your time today. I wish Thank you the you. best in this in this period while you're trying to figure out what, how to operate with COVID in a collegiate environment. And hopefully, things will move in the right direction so you're training and getting your games in, just like us, come spring. And we'll be able to enjoy our seasons together in the spring, and and then uh, stay in touch and hopefully have a lot of success
1: on and off the field. Yeah, no doubt. Thank you for your time and uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Excellent. We'll chat again soon. Thanks. All right, my man. Take care.